You are listening to the Shot Quality Podcast. I'm Tucker Richardson here with Simon Gersberg. Last night was game four of the NBA Finals. The Warriors pulled it out. Steph had a career-defining game, I would say. Um, One of the best games I've seen from him in a long time. And I think Simon and I were just both super pumped to have a a game in the Finals that went down to the wire. And uh, yeah, Simon gets into some of the shot quality numbers from last night's game and from the series as a whole. Um, and then we end the conversation talking a little bit about the NBA draft, some guys that we have our eyes on, and a sneak peek into who the Knicks might draft. So stay tuned to hear our conversation. Make sure to subscribe to the Shot Quality Podcast and enjoy. So today I'm in a great mood. Uh, the Warriors won game four, and obviously Steph had an incredible game. I think one of his best finals games ever. But first, I think me and Simon want to give some context to this series. Simon, you noticed some inst- interesting trends uh, in these first four games. Yeah, right out the gate. Um, every single game in the series has been a 10-point victory, which I just feel like doesn't line up with the eye test. <laughs> I just feel like both these teams are so back and forth. Um and basically they're like equal so like based off the quality of shots in these first four games the shot quality score averaging out all four games has the celtics 101 to 100 so it's a one point differential uh obviously the 10 point victories have gone back and forth uh but like do you feel like talk like your eye test like that's what you're seeing from the game obviously like these are close teams and just one game they're really outperforming the other team but overall it's just a really tight series obviously Yeah, I mean, I've noticed from the beginning, this is just a super competitive series. And that's why I've almost been kind of disappointed with the fact that especially games two and three, I think games one and four were incredible games. Um, Games two and three, the fact that it kind of got away at the end was frustrating because I feel like these teams match up really well. And um, what the Warriors do well, the Celtics tend to be good at stopping and vice versa. So, um, so yeah, I kind of I do see that. And uh, I keep saying like there's been moments in the game where uh, the Warriors are up, let's say like four or five points, and it seems like the Celtics are playing awful. And I'm just like, this is concerning because it, the Warriors usually when another team's playing badly and the Warriors are doing well, they're up by 15 or 20. So it seems like the teams seem to be hanging around um, until the end of games. Although in Game Four it was it was tight all the way until the very end, which I enjoyed, and that's what made it so much fun. Yeah, like, like obviously, like, the entire game was close. Like, last night, particularly, the only point where the Celtics actually had a solid lead, so the Celtics were up seven with 13 seconds left in the first half. ESPN won probably at, like, 84.5%, I think. Uh, Golden State was winning the shot quality by two at that point. So, like, only two, but, like, still, like, clearly, uh, even when the Celtics had a lead, it was mostly just three-point variance going against the, Celt- the Warriors in the first half, and then that obviously flipped a little bit. Uh, in the second half yeah and I think we I we can't talk about game four without just talking a little bit about Steph Um, I've watched a lot of basketball games I've played in a lot of basketball games and I was telling you before we got on here this was one of the most incredible performances I've seen Um, it says you you sent me the stat that uh, Steph had 38 shot quality points in game four and what's most impressive about that to me is (laughs) it seems like everything the Celtics are doing is to try and stop Steph And he can make all the tough shots he wants, but the shot quality will tell you the objective truth of like the shots he's getting. And he still put up 38 shot quality points. Like I know he scored 43 in the game. 
so it's not like he's just hitting tough shots. He's finding ways to get open and get the shots that he needs. And it's like, it seems like every time he gets a look at the basket, he needs to put it up. I mean, there was one play um, where it seemed like Tatum ran into him and fouled him and he still hit it. It didn't even touch the rim. My other favorite play from the game was uh, when, uh, who was it? Uh, Gary Payton caught it in the corner and just bounced it behind him to Steph for a three. Like there was just some incredible plays and, um, I don't know. I, it just got me so juiced. I was going crazy in my living room. My parents were kind of concerned for me. Uh, just, <laughs> such, just such a fun game to watch. And I'm so glad. I'm so glad the series is 2-2. Feels like these playoffs have kind of let us down a little bit. Um, but it seems like the series is not going to let us down. So that's exciting. Yeah, I mean, like some of the shots he was hitting and like they're just all like for anyone else in basketball, just like a horrific shot. But just for him, like it's just like notes on the site, like he had 18 good shots um <laughs> and like some of them like the ones that count as good shots just would count as like terrible shots for literally anyone else in basketball so it's just he's like it's just stupid <laughs> yeah I, I i wanted to ask you and i know you don't have the shot quality stats on it which i wish you did is like steph taking a deep and for him a deep shot is like five or six feet behind the nba three-point line but i feel like that's like a better shot for him than most people's just regular three and, and i know i know what was that even off the dribble too. Yeah, off the dribble, catch and shoot. I mean, he'll just come down and transition. I, there was a point in the game where I was watching it, and I literally just wanted him to take like one step inside half court and just pull it because I just felt like he was gonna make it. I mean, it's just incredible what he does out there, and I there's just been no one else that can do that. But um, I I want to get in a little bit to this uh, this Draymond conversation. Obviously, the big storyline from this game is uh, Steve Kerr finally benching Draymond. I wrote at halftime that they should have benched him uh, a lot earlier than that. But um, what does shot quality tell us about what Draymond's doing on the court and why um, he should either be playing or not be playing? <laughs> well, the last two games, uh, his uh, shot quality points per possession has been the third percentile uh, in game three <laughs> and then the sixth percentile in game four. Um <laughs> So he's had some tough games, uh, not getting the best shots, but it's obviously not what Draymond does. He's still had eight assists in the game, uh, distributed the ball well and played great defense. This is more of an eye test thing. Uh, but do you think uh, his liability in the offensive end, I mean, particularly scoring and not being able to shoot, uh, do you think eye test it offsets his defensive and passing? Um, like, I think, honestly, the more concerning point um about Draymond right now is like his lack of confidence on offense it's not even looking to score there were so many plays I was watching this um compilation on Twitter this morning of plays where he would just catch it and move it right away he's like scared to even have the ball especially in the fourth quarter I remember a couple plays it seemed like he had there was one play where he had a layup and he just threw it out for a three and obviously they got an open shot I think they ended up missing it I forget who I think Clay took it but um He's just like scared to shoot. And that is more concerning than him missing shots because there are going to be times where you need Draymond to be aggressive around the basket. I think unless there's less than five seconds left on the shot clock, he should not be taking any threes the rest of the series. Um, we talked about this in the last pod. A, a contested Steph three is a much better shot than a Draymond open three. Um, so he shouldn't be taking any threes the rest of the series. However, when he gets it around the paint, he could still make things happen. And that's why I'm worried about his confidence. I don't know what this benching him kind of thing is going to do to his confidence. I hope it doesn't hurt it that much. Um, or it just make, make Steve Kerr realize that Draymond should be even playing less minutes, which I think would be more beneficial for the Warriors, to be honest. It's so interesting, like the confidence of a player and how like when somebody's unconfident, it almost becomes like a thing where they're just like, I know he's not going to shoot. So like I remember plays 
uh, I don't know if he did this last night, but Draymond would uh, someone come on for dribble handoff, and Draymond like would always pass it because they're like no way he's gonna drive, and they fakes the dribble handoff and just like drives for a wide open layup. Like Draymond on the website has like a really good like finishing around the hoop number, and I feel like that's just because of his like passing feel and like people just knowing like oh I doubt he shoots this or drives here. Um, <laughs> no, I hundred percent agree, and they're. There are times when that hot potato effect that he does where he just catches it and move, moves it is really effective. And um, it's something that a lot of players, they can't read the game as quickly as he does. So it works really effectively. But it was just something I noticed in the fourth quarter where he just didn't want to touch the ball. You could tell he came up with a couple big plays. He had that one offensive rebound uh, and then the assist to Looney for the layup at the end. That was that were really important. Um, you talk about the defensive impact and like the eye test for that. I think he's still an effective defensive player. Um, I think the Warriors in general, whether it was Wiggins or Clay, really came up big defensively. Um, <clears throat> one thing that I wanted to point out, I don't have to go through all the plays, but the possessions the Celtics got from it was five minutes, and 18 seconds left toward to the end of the game. They didn't get to the um, they, they took all threes or pull ups. So um, Jalen Brown took a, a 13 foot pull up jump shot with four minutes and 30 seconds left. For the rest of the game, the Celtics didn't take a shot inside the arc. Um, and so obviously, I don't know if you have numbers on that or if, that, if those are good possessions, but um, it just seemed like in the fourth quarter of a finals game, it seems like you want to try and get to the rim or get fouled. It just seems like there's other ways to have good possessions. And the Celtics seemed like they really started to settle towards the end of the game. And I think a lot of that had to do with the elite Warriors defense and Clay and Wiggins really stepped up, especially. Um, but I think that that is a little bit concerning for the Celtics moving forward. Yeah, I could definitely see that being a little concerning. I, I just feel like the, I feel like the Celtics, um, like they still have the advantage. Like I just think they are still the better team. Um, like the numbers don't really flesh it out too much of the advantage, but I just feel like when they're both playing their game, like their typical average game, I would just think the Celtics would win the series. And I still kind of do feel that way, even after four games. I mean, yeah, you sent me this stat too. Um, the Celtics struggling out of out of isolations in game four. Um, I don't know if you want to get a little bit into that, but it just, it seems like when they become ISO heavy and they're kind of jacking up threes, especially when it's like Marcus Smart, um, who I feel like hasn't, <laughs> he's hit maybe one big shot in this series so far. It seems like he's really struggled in the fourth quarters. I don't know. I just, I feel like there's other ways when Tatum is and Jalen Brown are attacking downhill and getting to the basket. That's when I'm more worried as a Warriors fan, as someone who's just watching the game, I get more worried when Tatum's like running into people and trying to draw fouls as opposed to settling for, for threes. And obviously he can make threes, but um, I don't know, maybe, maybe shot quality says that that actually is a better shot for him, but just from watching the game uh, it feels like when he's getting to the rim and he's getting downhill uh, he's just a scarier player. His off the bounce three is a little worse than his drive to the basket. It's like 8% worse, um, but it's pretty, it's pretty negligible. Like they're both really good shots. He's off the dribble threes in the 88th percentile of off the dribble threes. Um, and his drive to the baskets in the 75th, but just the average shot to the basket is higher uh, quality of shot. Um, yeah. I mean, especially against the Warriors, I feel like he, he has the strength to overpower, especially in early series when they were switching like Steph and all these smaller players on him uh like he should be getting more downhill and it was kind of weird in this game i don't know if this lines up with your eye test his quality of shots in this game were bad they were in the 24th percentile compared to the other games in the series um 
the other games he was first game he was uh 61st percentile um he just missed a lot of shots that he traditionally hits uh second game 46 uh third game 55th and then this game 24 so really a kind of a significant drop off in this game yeah not only that but i just felt like his uh his passing decision-making was worse. I mean, he, yeah. he ended up the game with six turnovers and it, it was almost worse just watching it. Like there were plays where my dad wants the Celtics to win for some reason. I don't understand why, um, but we were watching the game together and, and he was like getting pissed at Tatum. He's like, what, what are the decisions? And the whole series I've been backing Tatum up for his decision-making. I think it's gotten so much better. Uh, his passing has gotten so much better. I just think in the last couple of years, especially, but this year he's really locked in on, becoming a facilitator and he did still have six assists in this game but sometimes his turnovers are just so bad and we know how important turnovers are to winning like something that we talk about all the time at Colgate and um in college is like there are two ways to get more possessions than the other team is to have less turnovers and more offensive rebounds and I think the Warriors had a couple more offensive rebounds in this game I actually think they had more turnovers but um Tatum's turnovers especially live ball turnovers like cross-court passes that just have no chance of getting through um, live ball turnovers are just especially important um, for creating more possessions. I just think he was ineffective in that way. And then, like you're saying, he also was taking worse shots. So just an all-around poorer game for Tatum. Hopefully um, he can come back and, and back it up in the next game and have a better one. Yeah, and he probably will. Yeah, I, I feel like he, he will, and he'll, he'll come up come out strong in game five. But the Warriors, I mean, the Celtics all playoffs have just been like really, really good away. Um, so I'd imagine that he would continue and the Celtics, I think, are going to win game five. I, I would be a little shocked if they didn't, honestly. Really? So you think Celtics going back to um, San Francisco are going to win? Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm not 100 percent confident in that. The other thing that I've noticed in the shot quality numbers in this series, just in general. Um, so the average score is 101 to 100 Celtics Warriors. Uh, which is way below like the Vegas under like the, the game, uh, the over under in the series, like this has been like 213, 214, which is like 14 points under the shot quality. And it's really fascinating because I feel like both teams are shooting in the course of the full series, like over expected from three, like every game, the Celtics have been above 40% from three, I think. And then the Warriors have pretty much been close to that number, except uh, this game. Um so, yeah, that's just like another number I noticed with the course of the series. Well, I think it, it's a testament to two things. Like, I think the defensive energy and intensity has definitely ramped up, which is making people take tougher shots, which is probably why the shot quality numbers are saying that. But on the flip side, guys are just making tougher shots. And also guys that usually haven't been, like we've seen the Derek White game, we've had the Al Horford game. In this game, Steph is just making absurd shots, like some of those shots he's making. Um, even Clay had a couple really tough ones that he, he finally knocked some in today. Um, Poole kind of got going a little bit. So I think it's a testament to the, the reason I've loved this series so much so far is just that intensity. It seems like every possession is, is so intense and um, it's so hard to get a good look for both teams. But yet when they do get even a decent look, it seems like they're knocking them in, which I think is pretty cool. That makes for some good basketball to watch. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, I think going forward, uh, it's just exciting. You know, I don't know if you want to talk a little bit about why the playoffs in general have, it seems like there hasn't been as many close games. I mean, I hypothesize that has a little bit just to do with how many threes teams are shooting. Um, but it's exciting that we have a two, two series in the finals, two really fun teams, 
obviously I think the Warriors or I want the Warriors to end up winning the series, but um, just, just exciting going forward that we have a close series and the Warriors retake home, home court advantage. I feel like if the Celtics have gone up three, one, that would have just been really disappointing. I don't know if you agree. I think even Celtics fans might say that just because I think people just want a good series. We haven't had, <laughs> I feel like we've had no good series in these playoffs so far. So, um, so yeah, excited for the rest of this, this series going forward and hopefully um, we can talk a little bit more about it, maybe after game six or something like that, um, just to get our thoughts and hopefully it goes seven. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. So real quick, I, something I noticed that I wanted to talk to you about on the latest CBS sports mock draft, the number <laughs> 11 pick, do we know who the Knicks, you know, who the Knicks are taking it's Johnny Davis, baby. It's That's your boy. Who they have. Your boy. <laughs> your boy. Um, <laughs> Obviously, for people that don't know, for some context, uh, Colgate, we played Wisconsin in the NCAA tournament this year. We did end up losing. That happened. Um, but <laughs> Johnny Davis was Wisconsin's star this year. And I literally, me and Simon, we just wanted to talk a little bit about the draft real quick. And I looked it up. The first mock draft I saw on CBS Sports had Johnny Davis going to the Knicks. I just thought that was so funny. So how do you feel about that? Yeah, I think that would be like the epitome of just like a bad fit for the Knicks. <laughs> Um, like I, I was just thinking today, like the best fits for the Knicks. I just feel like they need somebody who has passing feel. Like, like I, obviously you need a star point guard to like mesh with RJ. Like that's the ultimate need. But I think like just like summing it up and just based off what's in the draft, like I, I always believe in going best player available, but just like with slight need in mind, I feel like a guy like Dyson Daniels or Jeremy so uh, Sohan, I always mispronounce his name. Um, I always feel like, I feel like those are the guys, usually tradition, like past judge, those would be the guys I would like overlook and uh, valued less. I feel like just because both bad free throw percentage numbers, both bad three point shooters, uh, but they're both switchable bigs that have high passing feel. So I think those two uh, and Malachi Brandon from Ohio state, I feel like would be the better fits for the Knicks. Uh, Johnny Davis, I just don't think he would fit well next to RJ, just like his isolation game. He's a little bit better of a passer than like a typical two guard, maybe, and maybe could translate a little bit better in that way with RJ. But I just, I just think he just doesn't take the best shots. And if you're not really good at those bad shots, I just, it's hard to see. Cause I mean, talk like, like it's, it's weird to me that like he's going so high because if you if you are if you're translating to the NBA, uh, and you take a ton of mid range shots, you have to be so good at them and like have such an elite feel and like be a number one option to like yeah. take those shots like on an NBA team. I feel like there's just, like not many role players that come in rookie year that do that. Um, so like, do you feel like he has a fit? Um, yeah, I mean, no, I completely agree. That's why I don't understand where – all right, I, I'm struggling to understand where he fits in the league. Um, I mean, he shot 31% from three this year. We all know that the league is moving more and more and more towards three-point shooting. And obviously there are guys – I mean, you've talked a lot about this on numerous podcasts. There are guys that if they're good at mid-range shots, they should take mid-range shots. It's not like mid-range shots are completely eradicated from the game, um, which some people believe they are. There are, of course, guys who are really good at mid-range shots. Look at this year, DeMar DeRozan. I mean, an elite, yeah. elite mid-range player. So it's not like Johnny Davis. I mean, I think that that is almost like um, the pinnacle of where Johnny Davis could be. Um, 
I think he's a hard worker. He's someone who could develop a three-point shot, but you're completely right. Like <laughs> role players don't normally come in and take ISO mid-ranges, which is basically what he did for the most part this year. So that's a little bit concerning for him. Um, he's a, I think he's a, could be a pretty good defender and he does some other things. He has some other tools that make him a pretty good prospect, but I kind of agree, especially RJ has become a very good three-point shooter. But RJ is also someone who's just going to need the ball a lot to be effective. Um, and his passing has gotten better or whatever. But Johnny Davis is also someone who needs the ball to be effective. He's not like a standstill catch-and-shoot three-point shooter. He's someone who kind of needs the ball, can back people down, can take fadeaways, um, body people to the rim. That's kind of what he did in college. And I just don't know where he would be able to do that in the NBA, especially if he got drafted to the Knicks. Yeah, I just think players are humans of habit and – they can adjust, and if they're smart, they will if they want to succeed. Uh, but it's asking a lot to change pretty quickly. And it's just like I, I just don't know him personally, and I don't think you do either. Like, like I'm not gonna like discount and say he's gonna suck in the NBA because very well could be wrong, but it's just like I would be upset if the Knicks drafted him. Like, that's like one of the guys that I just don't think would mesh well. Uh, and not the type of player that I want. The other guy who I don't really want as much, I remember Jeremy Wu. I talked to him at, at the Wisconsin game, actually, about him, uh, Tari Eason. Uh, he's also a guy with, like, limited feel. Like, this article came out, which I think was actually not true, uh, something about, like, how he, like, wasn't interviewing well because then scouts were saying he did interview. I don't know. But um, he's another guy who I think is just, like, super athletic, um, shot the ball really well this year, but um, – just might not be a great fit with the Knicks. Like, I just feel like we need somebody who just knows going to be solid and like plays team role. Someone in the second round who I'm really getting into a lot for the Knicks is uh Dalen Terry on Arizona. Mm-hmm. Um, I just think he had like the perfect role in Arizona where he just like did his job, uh, like shot the ball pretty well and like knew his role really well. And that's just kind of what I think the Knicks need more of. Yeah. The uh, problem especially- passing team the problem with a team like the Knicks is uh they're probably wanting to go for that home run pick instead of just a solid role player it's like they're more about the flashy guy than the guy who's actually going to end up being a 10-year vet who is just a solid player um and that's just that's why it's a little difficult I mean we haven't talked at all about the draft on this pod and I think going forward we're going to have some pod breakdown uh NBA draft breakdowns before uh, before the, the actual draft, but, um, just off the top of your head, I'm sure you've looked at the numbers a little bit. I know you haven't done such a deep dive, but so those top three guys, um, Jabari, Chet and Paolo, those are like the definite going to go top three. Where do you have them? One, two, three to the magic thunder and rockets. I think Chet should go first. Um, I just think you, you take the swing on the highest upside guy. Um, and then uh, recently I've been leaning, obviously I know like the shot quality big board. It's like different than my, like I test big board, obviously. I, I, I feel like Paolo's too. And then Jabari and Ivy are just like, even, even like, I, I think I'm like, so sure like Ivy's impact in the NBA, like just having the ability to get by your guy immediately, like, and being like when he gets to the NBA court, it'll probably be a top five, like quickness, like get by your player athleticism, like first step. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's just like the easiest skill, I think, to translate and just so safe. 
same as Jabari's like pull up game and just like having like a six ten guy just like take pull up shots that you know he's gonna hit at a crazy rate. Like is he a six ten guy Thompson? Like maybe. Uh, but I, I I that's why I think they're just even. Um, but I I think in terms of just like valuing upside, um, Chet Paolo just because of Paolo's passing field, I think he has the edge over uh, Jabari and Ivy, uh, and then Ivy and Jabari I think are neck and neck. So I have some inside information. I'm not going to name names of my source. I sound like Bill Simmons right now, but I do have a source on the Duke men's basketball team. And I asked this source out of the five Duke players who are probably going to get drafted, which one works the hardest. And they said, AJ Griffin. So I'm all in on AJ Griffin. Um, I already think he's going to be really good. He's an elite three point shooter. And he's my guy that go top five on this mock. I'm looking at right now. They have him going eight. Um, they have Keegan Murray in the top five, but I would take AJ top five. Um, I test tells me that. And then ever since I heard this um, from this unknown person, uh, it made me even more excited about him. So um, he's my guy that I feel like has slipped a little bit, especially since like Shaden Sharp has entered the draft, uh, who I still think should be going top five. That's just my little piece of advice. I don't know anything, but <laughs> I like it. The one thing I'm a little concerned about AJ about, uh, I love the the work ethic stuff. Like that's obviously awesome. They get the insider information. But we got to clip that. Um, but um, it's uh, when he drives to the basket, he's so rigid and I feel like uncreative. And I don't know if that's a skill that you could really like learn. Um, I don't know. Like, like, do you feel like, like he seems pretty athletic um and he's obviously really young which is just like really good indicators and he shot the ball incredible obviously the form on his shot isn't like the best but um I don't know like like how do you feel when he drives to the basket like what do you think yeah he's clearly not a plus athlete and I think he um he definitely like settled for three well I think settled is the wrong word because he was so good at them but he was definitely more comfortable getting into like a step back three or a step back mid-range um, turn around mid, mid range, just thing like things like that, um, then getting to the rim. But I don't know if that's necessarily such a bad thing if he's really good at those shots. And it's not like a Johnny Davis situation where he can't shoot threes. You have to respect his three. Um, he's just a really good ISO player and, and creating shots for himself. So I think that's why I'm so high on him. I think his like quickness and athleticism is a little bit of an issue. He's just like not that athletic. I mean, he's athletic to a certain extent, but when you get to the NBA, everybody's super athletic. Um, so it's not this, it's not quite the same uh, compared to like someone like I'm looking right in front of him, Benick Mather. And that guy seems like a plus athlete. That guy can soar over anybody. Um, a little, they're a little bit different. So I kind of agree with you. I understand what you're saying. I just, I would take him on, uh what he's able to do on the outside really um is why and the, work so ethic. and the work ethic and the work ethic exactly exactly and just he, i heard he's a great kid you know all those things that that sounds good to me um what do you think about his form yeah so the one thing with his form is the feet so his feet are super wide and that's actually that's actually um really strange and if you look at most elite shooters actually clay is an example of someone who has a pretty wide stance but if you look at even someone like kd or steph kd has super narrow feet uh and when i was when i was learning how to when i was learning to change my shot to become a better shooter um i was definitely taught to have my feet in a little bit closer so 
that is the one strange thing. And the reason it's strange too, is because he's pretty good at off the dribble shooting. And it would seem like with a wide base, that would be much harder. Um, you're just like a little bit more off balance and it's harder to get to your spots when your feet have to be so wide to shoot. Um, but if it goes in, I mean, I've always said if guys make shots, uh, then I don't have a problem with it. Does that make it harder if you shoot with a wider base, like catching off screens, um, off the dribble, like versus catch and shoot? Like what is yeah. the I just think it gives you less wiggle room to take like for instance, think of Steph. Steph can shoot from literally any angle, any position, um, facing any <laughs> any which direction. Um, and a big reason for that is his feet are usually pretty close, but sometimes they're wide. So, like he just has the ability to shoot. It, it, it's his feet aren't rigid is basically what I'm trying to say. He can, he can do it in any different type of way. Whereas it seems like when you watch AJ Griffin, every time he shoots, his feet are in the same exact spots, that same exact distance apart. Um, and so I think that does leave a little bit less creativity when it comes to making um, more difficult shots. That's really interesting. But I don't think it affects his catch and shoot is the thing I'm trying to say. Like his catch and shoot and his basic step backs and things like that are not going to be affected. Um, running off screens and having to take more difficult shots might be a little bit more affected. <laughs> but um, yeah, I think that that's a, a decent little uh, dive into the draft. As we go forward, we want to get more into it. And obviously we talked to Fran a little bit about it, but um, we'll have our own, probably our own big boards, eye test for shot quality big boards um, moving forward and deep dive into some of our sleepers and things like that. But uh, yeah, I think uh, just excited for games five and six. Hopefully it goes seven. Um, excited for the NBA draft coming up. And, and I think Simon's hoping that the Knicks don't draft Johnny Davis. Um, he does look great in that Taco Bell commercial, though. I've seen that so many times now. <laughs> I don't know if you have to. We were just talk- we were just talking about in our team group chat. Like I see that commercial everywhere. But um, but good for him. Honestly, good for him. I'm not not trying to be mad. But uh, make your blood boil. No, 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 not at all, not at all. Um, we weren't supposed to win that game, so it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but thank you all for listening and enjoy your weekend. We will be back soon. Oh, 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 oh,